God, we come, and, uh, and, and I thank you for the people that you've brought to this church, the people that you've brought today, what you're doing in each of their lives. God, if we've learned anything, it's that, that, that a journey with you is a journey that, that continues to bring more and more questions up about who you are and what you want and how you operate in this world. God, I pray you give the people in these, these chairs right now courage to ask the big ones and the small ones. And I pray for wisdom, God, to address them in a way that's honoring to you. Um, with insight from your spirit and with truth. So, Lord, here we are. Take this time that we have together and uh, we pray in your name. Amen. You can start texting them in while you do. I am going to hit a couple of questions that we did not get to last week um, while the stream starts. So let me get started here. What do I do if I believe I should no longer be at my old church but feel trapped there due to ties? And have long been praying for the okay, but have been getting no clear answer. What do I do? You know, that feeling of being trapped in a church, it's not unique to you. There's been a lot of people that have been there for various reasons. Family ties, expectations, what's mom going to think, right? You know, the whole thing. I've seen it also happen at a level of theological fear. If I break away from that church, am I still saved? Are they the one true church? What's that going to mean for me, for my soul, for my children, for what's important to me? If you feel that you should no longer be at your former church, and this isn't just like in passing, this isn't just like a one Sunday, two Sunday thing, but this has been growing and splintering for a while, and as a result, your connection with God and the community is withering. Guys, I've got to tell you, your soul is just way too important. Your soul is way too important for that. Find a church where you click. And I say that the same thing to those of you who might be feeling that here at Fellowship of Faith. There is no such thing as one church for all people. Different churches connect with different people in different ways. Now, if there's unresolved issues there that you're running from, you need to deal with them. If there's sin that's been exposed and you're afraid to go back because of a a shadow of embarrassment that goes upon you, no, you need to learn what it means to to find repentance in a community that heals. And if if you're leaving for the wrong reasons, no, then by all means you've got to plunge in. But if it's other things, no, by all means. Your soul's too important. There are many churches and, and, and local churches. We're not enemies, right? We're all in this together. Good question. Next one. coming um i i I touched on this briefly last week let me hit it again will my dog be in heaven no but your dog will be raised at the resurrection of the dead (laughs) can a christian spouse um redeem and get an unbelieving spouse into heaven you cannot get anyone into heaven jesus christ gets people into heaven What you can be is a vessel for his work. What you can be is is a conduit or a medium, if I could even use that, for Christ to work through his truth, through his message, through your example. Can I just encourage you? Do not beat your spouse over the head with God. God does not make a good club. It hurts people, okay? Um, But to love him, to pray for him, 
to encourage him, to be willing to be vulnerable with him and say, this is so important to me and this is why. Do that and let the Spirit do his work and pray tenaciously that that God will work in that. As Abraham religions go, do Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all point to the same God? It's a great one. Here's how I got to answer it. Yes and no. At one foundational level, who God is and what he's revealed in early history is something that, that, that kind of swims in the stream of both Christianity and Judaism and Islam. So at one basic sense, the, the yearning for that one true God and, and a certain idea of who he is is held in common. And I believe that all three are seeking that one same God. But the real fly in the ointment on this one is when it comes to Jesus. Because as Christians, the New Testament says that Jesus is the true embodiment of God. This is who God is in his most vivid, clear form. And so what happens is that when Judaism and Islam end up rejecting Jesus, they end up rejecting the truest revelation of who God is. The way I like to picture this is imagine this. You remember the movie You Got Mail? All right. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but uh, you ever fall in love with someone like online before you've ever met them? Uh, imagine a relationship. No, some are shaking their heads on. All right, all right. You know, just, just so we all know, no, it has not happened. <laughs> imagine a pen pal relationship between God and the people of old. They're writing letters back and forth. They're discovering stuff about each other. And, and what happens? You end up falling in love with what you see revealed in those notes, right? But you end up doing something more, don't you? You end up starting to imagine a personality that stands behind those notes, right? And what happens is you end up falling in love with a conception of who you think a person is despite the fact that you've never actually met them. Now, what happens when they actually show up? Will you love the real person, or are you more in love with your idea of who that person should be? You get it? That's kind of how I see the relationship between Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. And so I think it's better to ask the question, how accurately do each of those religions get God? Follow? Great question there. Next one. At Jesus' tomb, two Roman soldiers were guarding it. Supposedly, an angel appeared to them and scared them out of their pants. What if the Roman Roman soldiers were secretly Christians? Do you think that is possible? Sure, I don't think it's probable, but I do think it's possible, and I think it's maybe even more possible that after they, quote, got scared out of their pants that as a result, they came to see the one true God. It's, it's just very interesting uh, on, on the Mark. Um, the Gospel of Mark really sets up this dichotomy between those who shouldn't get it but do and those who should get it but don't. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Mark shows you that, that the people who are closest to Jesus, not just religious leaders but disciples included, they just never get it. They're always ignorant, afraid, misunderstanding. And there's interesting things you see between the Gospels. You got me on the roll on this one. There's interesting things you see between the Gospels where, you remember like when Jesus walks on water 
Okay, what's cool about the Gospels is that different Gospels will record the same accounts, but they'll each bring their own flavor and insight into it. So when you see Matthew talk about Jesus walking on water, the disciples respond with fear and great joy. Whoa, who is, right? When you see Mark record it, how do the disciples respond? Just fear. Just fear. How does the Gospel of Mark end? The women fled from the tomb for they were afraid and they didn't tell anybody. And yet in the Gospel of Mark, it shows the centurion guarding Jesus on the cross after seeing the signs going, surely this is the Son of God. Isn't it great how God works that way in the most unexpected places and churns in the hearts that people are quick to judge is the farthest? So do I think it's possible? Yeah, you better believe it. Next question. Why can't my friend be on Friendo? Well, well, predestination. Here's an interesting one. Why did God make so many planets if only one of them is inhabitable? I just get the sense that God loves wondrous variety. Why did God make over 750,000 species of insects alone? And that's only what we have cataloged. They're bugs. We step on them. We hit them with our cars. We spray them, right? Do you get the sense that God just loves to create? He loves to pretend and imagine, but then when you're God, it's like, oh, I can actually make it real. That's one of the things I love most about God. This God who delights in in a wonder of creation and that everything doesn't have to be functional. That things can exist for sheer, sheer beauty, for sheer joy, for the sheer joy of creating and being in relationship with him. Yeah, he's a good God and he's a big God. All right, next question. Here we go. Um, that one came in last week. Sorry. Next question. Does God love atheists? That is, people who don't believe. Absolutely. He loved them so much that he died for them. He gave their life for them. That's how much God loves people who don't believe. Is God punishing me with illness for past sins? No. No, he's not. If you're looking for some comfort or encouragement in this, I encourage you, read something like Luke chapter 13. Read something like John chapter 9. It's a time in the Bible when everyone's walking around with these assumptions that the reason that those bad things happen to those people is because of something inherently wrong or sinful in them. Somehow they're, they're set up more for judgment. And Jesus just kind of blows that one out of the water. Can I just encourage you with Romans 8? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in you. I don't know your illness, but I tell you, God cares. And even if God is not healing you with a miraculous touch right now, it doesn't mean God has abandoned you. He suffers with you. And there is something coming that blows your sickness out of the water. Is it okay to pray to die? Quote, I am not, not, not suicidal. (laughs) 
Good. <laughs> and I hear you. I am just tired of living. I am in constant pain and have no life because of my disability. I live for the Lord and long to be with him. Thank you. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay because God has promised you something bigger and greater than what we have right here. And that yearning to go home, that yearning to be with the Lord forever, Paul prayed this in Philippians 1. I'm torn, he said. I don't know what to do because I desire to go and be with the Lord, which is better by far. But I know I got a lot of work here left to do. And if I can just speak to whoever it is here for a moment. You know, you may feel like your life is over. You may feel as though you've, you've outlived any practical purpose whatsoever. You can't do what you love. You, you, you can't do anything that seems to be of worth. I encourage you to pray. To pray not just for yourself, for everyone sitting in this room right now, for your kids or your grandkids or, or whatever other connections you have, for the needs in this world, because God needs people praying. You still have purpose and life. But to say, God, take me home, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Changing gears. Why don't we have confirmation classes here at Fellowship of Faith? Um, in the spirit of the, the former slide, I'll be straight up with you because I think the way confirmation is typically done is it's more of a tool of the devil than a thing of God. Um, what do I mean by that? I grew up in, in, a, in a traditional Lutheran background and confirmation was something imposed on me. For two years, you are going to go and you're going to love God, darn it. In two years of doing more work than I wanted to do in a sloppily run program and in all other kinds of things. You know, the joke in the Lutheran church is on Confirmation Sunday, kids stand up and they say, I would rather die than fall away from the church. And the next week, you're lucky a 50% show. And that's considered good odds. Does that just feel a little broken to you? And years ago, we took a, look, a hard look at that at FOF and we said, it's broken here too. And so we switched models. We said, you know, if someone wants to make a public profession that I believe in Jesus and I want to give my life to him, should two years of works be required before that? Or if God is churning in their heart, should they just simply be able to say, I know him, I want him, I love him, and I want to embark on a lifelong quest with him. Since we've started doing it this way at FOF, we have only had one person confirmed in six years who went through the motions and never came back. That's why. Now, let me approach it from another tack. Does that mean that lifelong discipleship should, should be happening? Absolutely. For kids? Absolutely. Should it go beyond two years? Absolutely. Those of you who have been confirmed, should it go on for you? Absolutely. We have Christianity 101 and 201. Are you still living the dream? You get the idea? It's not about a boot camp. It's about a life quest with Christ. Great question out there. Next one. What consensus, if any, is there regarding the scope of Jesus' abilities during his life? Examples, always superhuman, special only when required, etc. You getting the idea behind this one? Uh, Imagine it this way. When Jesus was born, could he speak Swahili? All right? How much was miraculous superpower at Jesus' disposal in exuding out of him at any given moment, and how much was limited to him 
by being in human form? Are you grasping this one? And the simple answer is it's a good question, and the New Testament describes it on both sides. On one hand, you see Jesus pictured with, with miraculous superpowers and defying the odds from the earliest of age. He was deity in all its form. Indeed, he can do what deity wants, right? On the other hand, Jesus was fully human. And to kind of reduce him to like this, this, this uh, sham of a human where there was no weakness or struggle or learning or growth is to devalue that side of it. Luke, for example, will say that Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature. How does God grow in wisdom? How does that happen? You know everything. And you know how to apply everything at the right time. There really ain't much room to grow there. Would you agree? The Bible says it's true. And this is the paradox of who Jesus is. Fully God and fully man. With the attributes of those both fully realized in him. And so what we're left with in the New Testament is episodes, examples, pictures that he'll always defy our imagination when we want to reduce him, but he'll always be more human than we think when we want to elevate him. You get the idea? That really wasn't helpful to you, was it? (laughs) It's a great question that we've been wrestling with for 2,000 years. Next one. Why should we study the Bible? Why should we follow its precepts? Is it relevant today? Um, I think I may have hit this one uh, briefly last week, but it's, it's, it's worth doing again because God wants to talk to you. God loves you. And the way he talks to you is not through inklings, not through ideas, not through feelings, not through the passing of the wind, not through signs. He did it through Christ. And who Christ is is revealed in this. So if you want to know who God is, you want to have a relationship with him, and you want it to go beyond the surface level of, oh, yeah, I know that guy. That's where you find the truth of who he is. More than that, it's living and active. It does something to you. It's how God changes you. It's how he transforms you. It's how he gets in you. It's how he starts shaping you to be the person that he always wanted you to be. Is it relevant today? You know, my standard answer to that, the Bible doesn't seem to give a rip if it's relevant or not. It is, and it's the truth. And if someone thinks it's relevant or not, that's their issue, not it, not it. And I'll leave that one at that. Next question. Ooh, okay, there's like 48 that came in on this, so I'm going to just kind of, who created God? No one. Do infants stay infants in heaven if they die? May I just encourage you, don't think of your eternity as heaven. Remember, there is new heavens, new earth. All right, And in the new heavens, new earth, is, which is what our true destiny is when we raise from the dead, will there be growth? Will there be change? It's speculation. I'll tell you what I think. I think there is. I'm not going to tell you why. You can follow up. Is there technology in heaven? Uh, for biblical reasons, I actually believe there is. What if you sin after you baptized? Oh, shoot. Shoot. Oh. No, and I don't mean to make a mockery of you. It's a great question. Um, hey, who here has been baptized? Who here sinned after they baptized? All right. like, wait, like two hands went down over there. I don't know about that. No, look, look. It, uh, as believers, we're not supposed to sin, but it's reality. And First John will talk a lot about this. 
Confess it to God. Give it to him. He still forgives. Baptism is not what forgives you. Christ's blood is what forgives you. And Christ's blood, though working through baptism, transcends an act and an event. Good question. Will God forgive you if you've had an abortion? Yeah. Yeah. God can forgive the worst, most heinous, biggest sins that are out there. The sins that fill you with the most regret. Bring it to God. Be honest with him. Tell him you're sorry and accept the blood of Christ. God loves you so much he died for that. Can you have sexual relations and children in heaven? Doesn't seem to be. Um, the reason why is, is when you see Jesus describing what it will be like. Let's go to the children one first. I'll split them. Um, it doesn't seem as though Jesus indicates that's what happens in heaven anymore. You can read um, the passages where he gets into debates with the Sadducees. Read things like, like Luke 19, like Matthew 19. You're going to see it hinted at there where he says, quote, you'll be like the angels, neither marrying nor being given in marriage. Now, if we're raised like Adam and Eve and we're living in a new heaven and new earth with bodies, what does that mean in terms of the sexual relation questions? Um, well, there's two kind of theories out there on it, just to be straight up. One is to say, no, we're all kind of androgynous and we're all kind of asexual in heaven. Um, certain body parts, do they disappear? I don't know. Or do they just kind of, we'll leave that at that. <laughs> Other people said, no, man, new heavens, new earth, free love, baby, all the way. And, uh, you know, you can... <laughs> We'll find out. (laughs) Before we are raised, meaning raised from the dead, Christ comes back, we're raised from the dead, right? Where do we go? Those who are in Christ, their souls go to be in his presence. My dad, his body's in the ground. His soul's with Jesus waiting to be raised someday. Those who are not in Christ are separated from him but still awaiting resurrection. Luther once described it this way, and I think and the metaphor really works for me. Imagine your best dream and your worst nightmare. In a sense, that's heaven and hell before the resurrection. When Christ comes, imagine waking up and finding out that they came true. Do pastors have temptation? Do they, Tina? Good answer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. you know, you, you, your clergy, your, your spiritual leaders, they're, they're human. We are. We're not better than you. God does not give us some special kind of privilege and shield us from things. Um, yeah, we, we, we get tempted and, and, and struggle just like you. That's even true for Jesus, isn't it? Isn't it crazy to think that Jesus was tempted just like you? And don't we always want to kind of make it something like, well, he was tempted, but he, was, he didn't really want it. No, yeah, he did. Otherwise, it's not temptation. Everything you struggle for and you desire for that isn't right or don't want to do that you should, all of that stuff. Jesus had to face it every day. All of his followers do too. And uh, yeah, next question. Does missing church for kids' sports break the third commandment? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 straight up on this one. Um, you know, if, if, if you don't know the third commandment, first of all, let's have a Ten Commandments review, all right? Do you know that different faith traditions actually number the Ten Commandments differently? So, some would call the third commandment, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. But we're going to use the other numbering system, which I think is what you're referring to. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You know, it's a great question, and my encouragement to you is, is don't be legalistic on it. At the same time, don't run in fear, or don't run in denial of it either. What God wants of you is he wants you to be in a regular pattern of life, worshiping him, gathering with a community of believers, and that is as regular as brushing your teeth. Now, do you forget to brush your teeth sometimes? You get home late sometimes and you go, man, I'm just going to bed. Okay, you do it. You know, no one's losing sleep over this, and I don't think God is either. The kid's sports tournament comes around. Okay, go do it, you know? At the same time, it can be very easy for anything in this world, be it sports or whatever, work included, under the guise of it's okay to start to creep that relationship with God out. And it may come to a place in your life where you have to ask, what's more important to me? And in choosing what's more important to me, what am I going to say no to? And understanding that by saying no to someone, there will be cost. But am I willing to bear that cost for what I think is most important? Unfortunately, it's not formulaic. But hopefully some of that insight can help you in the midst of that because talk about the suburban problem of today, right? We live in a world that does not respect a Christian worldview anymore and everything is scheduled on Sunday. Great question. What are we doing here? <laughs> is it true that the staff altered the quality of the audio-video presentation to persuade us to support the media fund drive? <laughs> I got no comment. <laughs> no. Hey. What they're doing back there at the board, I don't know. Ask them, too. But uh, um, no, no, honestly, it just sucks that bad. It just sucks that bad. We, we are not setting you up on this. And uh, um, every week we come in and there's issues. 25 minutes again today. Three mics didn't work. We had to run around trying to get it to work. It's just, you know, that's why we're doing it. Great one. I think I'm getting some... All right, hang on. Here they come. Would FOF accept money from a lotto winner? It's a good one. It's not an easy answer because it depends. Do I think gambling is a sin? No. Do I think greed is a sin? Yes. Gambling's a lot like alcohol. It could be a gift to God even. But don't abuse it. And if it causes you to sin, run from it. You like to buy a couple of tickets every now and then. It doesn't have a sway in your life. It isn't the source of your trust and hope. You aren't putting your, your life dreams in this going, this is going to be my savior someday. And you happen to score and you want to give a gift? Rock on, do it. Are you someone who's blowing their paycheck every week? Buying 500, 600, 800 tickets hoping that this is going to be the answer to your solutions and we knew about it? No, we'd encourage you to other things. 
because the help you need is going to go deeper than whatever jackpot that is. And it's okay to admit that if, if I'm speaking to you right now. Find the help in that and uh, come talk to me if, 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 you, if I can be of help in that. With things seeming to be getting worse daily, do you think Christ's return is closer? Even if things get better daily, I think Christ's return is getting closer. However, let me challenge maybe your thinking on the end times right here just a bit. The Bible will use two different conceptions of time, kairos and chronos, okay? Chronos is what we know, like chronology, right? What we normally think about as time, a timeline, 852 on this date, you know, stuff like that. Kairos gets kind of translated as like right time, due time, due season, stuff like that in the Bible. I think a lot of us have an idea that God has a chronos time set. Like, like God knows I'm going to come on like April 3rd, 2114 at 748 in the morning, and I'm just, shh, don't tell anyone, Jesus. You know, that kind of thing going on. Are we thinking about it wrongly? Has God actually set a time yet? Or is he waiting for what he considers to be the right time? And the right time can change based on the things that that happen in this world and, and the dynamics of what plays out. Just another way of thinking about it right there. But uh, hopefully that helps you a little bit. Do people who have died, who have passed on before us, actually know what's going on in their wake? You know what I mean? Uh, put another way, do, do, do people in heaven kind of see what's going on here on earth? And uh, it's not an easy one to answer. And I'll tell you why. The Bible sets up a paradox on this one. On one hand, you have this parable where Jesus is talking about this man named Lazarus, and he dies, and he's taken up to Abraham's side, to heaven. He's, he's up there with God. And, and he'll describe in this story how a chasm was fixed so that the people up there can't see what's going on down here. All right? So on one hand, that would lead you to believe, wouldn't it, that those who have died do not see anymore what's happening down here. Agreed? However, on the other hand, you could read something like Revelation chapter 6. And what you'll see is the description of those who have given their lives, and as it puts, beheaded for Jesus, standing under the altar of God in heaven, crying out, how long, O Lord, are you going to continue to wait and tolerate that injustice down there? Which seems to indicate that they do know what's going on, right? Now, in the Lucan example, it's a parable. How far do you push a parable? In the Revelation example, it's apocalyptic literature, which is all based in uh, uh, um, metaphor and and symbology and things like this. How far do you push a literal interpretation there? Good question. How do you know when you're truly in love? I think I answered that one last week, didn't I? You just weren't happy at all with that, were you? Um, Next question. What if you're a Christian? What if you're a Christian and have had premarital sex but don't feel bad about it? Yeah, that's a good one. You know, repenting of sin 
does not require that you feel bad. Guilt is not a prerequisite of forgiveness. There are plenty of things that I've done in my life that I know are wrong. I don't feel bad about it all. The same is true for you, isn't it? But because I love and trust God, I take his word that this is wrong. And so I say, Lord, despite the fact that I don't feel bad about it, I'm going to confess it to you. And I'm going to seek to live differently regardless of what I feel. Don't make guilt your barometer. It's a servant but not a master. What do you say to someone who says that Christians are closed-minded and judgmental because Christians believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? You know, that that gets tough because often the the accusation of Christians being closed-minded and judgmental is something that's put on us all as a a stereotype, um, even if it's only rightly earned by a few. I always believe it's best to get relational with the person that you're talking to. And something that I might just say is, well, you know, I I consider myself a Christian. Do you think that I'm closed-minded and judgmental? And see where the conversation goes. And if it seems to be very closed-minded and judgmental on their part, I would simply ask, you seem to be very closed-minded on the idea that it could only be one way. There's a lot of things in life that only work one way. Are you open to even exploring this as a possibility? It'll reveal if they are. And if they're not, you've suddenly revealed who the judgmental, closed-minded one is in the relationship. And there's nothing you can do about that but pray. But maybe they're willing to look at it in a different way and with different eyes. And maybe you can start talking about different examples in nature just as, as examples of going, one way doesn't mean closed to everyone else. What's radical about Christianity is it's one way available for everyone. Just because there is a way of doing something in this world doesn't mean it's wrong. If we were to find a cure for cancer, would we judge other drugs because they don't do it? Or do we celebrate and give that cure to everyone we could find? Just because something is one way doesn't mean it's excluding. Christ died for all, not just for Christians. And I have time for one last question. What advice would you give someone who would like to be more involved in groups at FOF, but is afraid to be partnered up with people that speak way over your head and then, one, feel like you get nothing from that experience, and two, have nothing to offer in the discussion because you're already confused? Yeah, it's tough. We've been there. I get it. Um, you, you know, this is my encouragement to you. The only way to find out is by trying things. And the spirit of how we do groups here at FOF is that no one is signing blood oaths to a group, right? We encourage people, try it. Come once. See if you like it. And if it's like up there, that's why there's 12 more groups on the table. The only way you find connection is the only way you find friends, right? You don't, you don't find it by sitting there in your living room going, oh, I hope, I hope, I pray, I pray. You get out there and you talk to people. You meet people and you start to know very quickly, don't you? Do I want to spend more time with this person or not? Groups are the same way. And that's okay. 
Just like there's no such thing as two churches for every, uh, one church for all people, there's no such thing as one group for all people. Keep trying, and our group leaders know it, and they will bless you and cheer you on if you just simply go, I don't think this is the right one for me. I'm looking more for this. Can you help me? And there'll be like nine people that want to swoop in and do that. So I encourage you in that. And uh, if you want to take it further, come talk to me afterwards. Tell me what you're thinking. I'll point you in a couple of directions, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay? Fantastic questions today, guys. Um, We're going to pick it up again at 10.30. All new questions. Keep asking them. Keep praying. Keep searching. Keep seeking. God swims in those streams. I'm going to invite the band to come on forward. All right? While they do, today we're going to gather together and commune. And as we do, I just want to encourage you. um, Let's rise. Take a moment, come to God, ask him to forgive your sins whether you feel guilty or not. Trust him to forgive him, even if they're big. If you're struggling with temptation, a choice before you that you have to make, bring it to God today and ask him for courage to do what you know is right or what he tells you is right. And know that he loves you, all of you unconditionally with an undying love. Let's pray. God, we come and uh, thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for choosing to be born as a person to experience what it's like to be me. To struggle like I struggle, to face temptation to wrestle with all those things. It's because of that that we can can talk to you as someone who gets it. God, forgive us and come to us this day. May we trust in that redemption. Keep our eyes set on that hope that's yet to come. Lord, we pray.